Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast. And it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humblest abode of books. Right now, I'm reaching out to you from the Pacific Northwest. I'm in the deep, 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 abysmal deep cut of the woods, y'all. I'm up here in the mountains, you hear me? Ain't nothing out here but green, and I ain't talking about the Kanye smoke. It is pine trees as far as the eye can see. Every time a truck passes by, it's another reminder of final destination. It's just trucks with big tree trunks on them everywhere. I'm glad I don't drive. Shit. I'd have nightmares. How y'all doing? Um, I am emotionally, for some reason, I'm doing amazing. Mentally, I'm doing pretty good. Financially, I'm in ruin. I'm I'm broke. I have no money. I think I have like a dollar ninety four in my Venmo right now. Um, and and you want to hear this rigmarole? All right. So I can't get a food card um, until I get my birth certificate, my Social Security card, and my ID. Right? Okay. I can't get. Um, wait, no. I can't get my ID until I get my social security card. So I got to get my social security card first and then I can get my ID. Word. I can't uh, get a job right now until I have my ID. Um, But I can't get a food card until I get my taxes done. And I can't get my taxes done until I get my social security card and my identification. (sighs) And then I can get my taxes um, so that I could, oh my Lord, my tax forms so I could do my taxes so I can get a food card. In other words, I got a dollar ninety four, y'all, and that's going to have to stretch it. Um, accepting all donations to cash up in Venmo. Let's get that out the way real quick. Cause I've been out here four days and there are eight businesses out here. Six of them serve alcohol. Uh, I have to travel by bus about 45 minutes to get to a place with jobs. I applied for jobs. I haven't gotten any calls back yet. But there ain't no other place to look for work out in this mofo. There's nothing else out here. So, um, I don't know. Wish me luck. Or subscribe to my Patreon account. That would really help. Um, I've been writing like crazy. Uh, excerpts from the memoir are going to be going up. Um, little by little, piece by piece. I don't want to give y'all too much because then there's no need to buy the book. So I've been holding back. I've been really stingy. I know. Um, I just don't know what to share, what not to share. But I am going to share some stories tonight because I told y'all this, the beginning of season four, and I'm going to get to X, going to give it to you. Uh, um, I'm going to give you some story times. Um, 
this story time is going to be a little strange. I'm going to mix and mingle with the story of with a story about my mom and this whole controversial take on eating the rich. So, flashback to my mother in prison. Okay, my mother's in prison. I am probably 19. My mother's been in prison at that point about three, four years. And um, she uh, she gets she drinks bathtub gin in prison, right? Like hooch that they make in jail. And she gets pretty drunk. And she tries to walk down some stairs and she falls. And she fractures the hip. Now, her hip hurts, but my mom, you know, my mom was never a complainer. You know what I'm saying? So she probably didn't say much. But uh, it took them, they were dragging their asses in the prison, Clinton Correctional Center. Shout out to Clinton Correctional Center, y'all motherfuckers. Um, It took them a while to get my mother medical treatment. So she got a severe infection. Uh, To make a long story short, the infection turned into something called osteomyelitis, which is a severe infection of the bone marrow. And back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they didn't have an antibiotic strong enough to fight it. So my mother was then terminal. Well, she got a lawyer. She filed suit. She sued the prison. And the prison, I think, awarded her somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000. And they also petitioned the judge to let her go home to die. So here comes my mom. My mom comes home. Um... After serving about, this this whole thing took a process. Now, she contracted the illness after about three to four years in prison. She didn't get out until she served almost all of her time. She didn't get out until about 10 years. And um, my mom comes home and they put her into like a residential care facility. It's an apartment building, but it has like, you know, the bars on the walls to help people. The bathrooms are wider. They have the stalls for the wheelchairs. You know, that kind of a, kind of like an old folks home, but an apartment complex. Um, and my mom was staying there. And this this wasn't the greatest place, but it was what she could afford, what she had. Um, I had a very, very wealthy uncle and a wealthy aunt. But, uh, you know, they did what they felt like doing. They didn't do much. You know, my mother married a black man and her family never forgave her for it. So... You know, helping her with with some living expenses was the least they could do. And they were always, always about doing the least they could do. But I digress. So, now my mother's staying in this facility. And uh, she's on fentanyl patches back then. Powerful, powerful potent drugs. And she has a constant IV of fluids. And she can't, she has to be careful when she walks because what happens is an infection of the bone marrow starts to rot your bones from the inside out. So her bones became peanut brittle. They just would crack and break and she would fracture a toe, fracture a finger, you know, fracture an ankle. She, she couldn't afford to walk too far. Um, it hurt to sit up. Her hips would hurt. Her spine would hurt. So my mother spent the the better part of her later years, just laying in a bed or sitting up on the edge of her bed, smoking cigarettes and watching Law and Order SVU. Sometimes with me, sometimes by herself, but basically that's what she was doing. And we had a lot of great talks back then, you know. Um, 
<laughs> I remember one day just getting really emotional, you know, and saying to my mom, you know, we, we were living in the projects when I was a kid. It was a two-bedroom apartment in the projects. She had all these kids. She, t- she took in her sister-in-law's kids. It was like, at one point, I think there was 13 kids in this fucking house with two sets of bunk beds and uh, a mattress on the floor. And then we used to put, like, blankets and sheets lumped up on the floor for, like, another makeshift bed. And, like, all of us were... It was like two kids to each mattress. It was fucking crazy. And my mom just never said no. She always helped. She always helped other people, you know. Um, she never said no. She she refused to let anybody be homeless if she had anything to say about it. My mom would take in stray animals, stray kids. Oh, my God, she just didn't see the difference. And we were just going to stretch the food. You know, whatever whatever the welfare check brought, whatever the food stamps brought. You know, back in the day when you got that little stapled book of food stamps, my mom would stretch that shit for all the kids, right? So she's always been there for other people. But at the end of her life, there were very few people there for her. Very few people who were willing to make the trip out to see her. Um, Very few people who called. Um, Nobody came by to, to, you know, lift a finger. You know, and my mother used to say, they don't even bother to say fuck you. They just don't call. Whew. She got really depressed. And, um, she, uh, eventually took her life. Yeah. And it was tough, you know. Uh, she took an overdose of insulin, ended up in a coma. That was a tough time. You know, I get to the hospital and um, I've done other podcasts about that whole story. So I'm not going to, you know, go really big into it. But I I get to the hospital and she hasn't fallen completely into the coma yet. She can barely talk. I remember I was holding a stick with a wet sponge for her to suck on. And all she could do was moan or groan. And I just kept saying, I love you, Ma. I love you, Ma. And she she was going, she would go, And then she fell into the coma. That was hard. There was was so much we didn't say. But, um, you know, so she was always taking care of these kids. and And I thought about all that she gave. And I said to her one day, I just got really emotional. And I was watching her watch the TV. And, uh, I said, hey, Ma. And she goes, yeah, honey. And I said, I don't think I ever thanked you for keeping me. You had all those kids. You know, you could have gave me up. You could have thrown me in a garbage can, anything. She said, John, don't thank me. And I said, what do you mean? She said, John, when you were born, it was 1970. Roe versus Wade didn't come out till 73. Believe me, you wouldn't be here. (laughs) (laughs) And if that's not the realest shit ever, oh my God. I think I have been able to survive and endure and persevere over most things because my mother never kept shit soft for me. She always just said, it is what it is. Call a thing a thing, beloved. And I swear to God, I know this is going to upset some people, but you know, this, this is, this is a, a different time. Everybody in my family, at least my father's side of the family, everybody said, John, your mother is the blackest white bitch I've ever met in my life. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so my mother wasn't much on sentiment, you know what I mean? 
And I remember like her selling her after hours club and moving me out to Jersey because my asthma was getting so bad in New York City and she had to get me out of the roaches because the doctor told her it's the roaches that was causing my asthma. And sure enough, when we moved out to we moved out to Jersey. And I mean we moved out within hours. It wasn't no planned weeks shit. My mother sold the after hours club, you know, on a corner, you know, for a couple of grand or whatever. And bought a car, and there we were. We were now living in Jersey overnight. It was done. It was done. No clothes, no nothing. We'll buy clothes when we get to Jersey. And she was dead ass. So it was things like that that I appreciate most when I look back. You know, I don't, I don't focus on the beatings. I focus on the struggle. I focus on the things she did do, not the things she didn't do or left undone. You know, could she have been better? Oh, yes. But oh boy, she could have been a whole lot worse. And I try to keep that perspective, you know. I didn't ask to be born and she didn't ask to be a pawn in capitalism. So shit, we even. So fast forward. Uh, I go to the hospital and um, this young woman doctor she wasn't young but this smaller she was really tiny i think i associate size with age but this tiny woman doctor she says to me are you her son and i said yeah and she goes can i talk to you out in the hallway because my sister was already in the room my sister got pissed off at whatever this doctor told her the doctor says look i'm, I'm not gonna beat around the bush with you i need to let you know something and i said what's up she said your mother's never gonna come out of this coma she is going to be like this until she dies. I don't know how else to put it to you, so I'm just going to put it to you like that. And, and I'm grateful that my mother prepared me for that type of truth, right? What your mother is enduring right now, that heart machine, the breathing apparatus, the feeding tubes, understand that this is going to cost well over $200,000 a day to run all these machines night and day. And I said, okay. She said, I know you can't afford it. This bill is going to be phenomenal. So I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to be upset, but someone needs to be rational and practical. And she winks at me, and she says, if you think your mother is in more pain, her IV is a morphine drip. There is a way to open up the back of the machine to turn up her morphine. Mr. Blake, I don't know what else to tell you, but she is going to be like this for weeks, maybe even months, at over $200,000 a day. It's just something to think about. My mother passed three days later let's put it that way god I miss her I miss her she died within three days a little less than a million dollars <laughs> after she was neglected in a prison by someone in the medical field someone else in the medical field wanted to save time and money by showing me how to put her out of her misery. 
Because, you know, if you can't afford the bill, why keep her alive? I mean, that's basically what she said. It's, it's irrational to keep your mother alive. You're going to be so much in debt. It's not worth keeping your mother alive because you don't have the money to pay the fucking bill. That's, that's Dr. Just with the Hippocratic Oath, with years of education, with a fucking PhD, looked at me and said, it's not financially conducive to let her keep breathing, John. Wow. I was, I was 33 years old. The fuck did I know? I didn't know who was going to get the bill. I didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to have to pay it, if me and my siblings were going to have to pay it, if we were going to end up in court over it. I had already gone to jail twice over child support. I wasn't looking to go to prison over a $600 bill, $600,000 bill. You know what I'm saying? My mom dies. We can't even afford a fucking funeral. After everything she did for me, all I could do was throw her corpse in a fire and end up with a pile of fucking sand. Huh. I eventually get this, this really great job at a French restaurant that had received the five-star diamond award and it was the only five-star restaurant in the city. And people ate there for $155 per person on a prefix menu. And I'm in this $600 tuxedo that I busted my ass to pay for because it was the only way to work there. You had to have this like fly-ass tuxedo. And uh, I mean, you even had to wear the jacket and everything. We'd fucking be sweating all night running up and down stairs. These, these 13 guys come in one night. And uh, the man of the hour, it was his 50th birthday. Well, you know, my boss gives him a, a private room. And we, we actually bring a small kitchen into the room. And we cook them their own special meal. The chef is in the room with them, cooking them plates after plates after plates. We cook them a seven-course meal inside this small room. Well, they get there and to start off the meal, I mean, there's, you know, all these hugs and kisses on the cheeks and, you know, it's big French whoop de do And um, they order two bottles of Tattinger champagne to start off the night. And these were like nine-year-old bottles of Tattinger champagne. They were about $2,000 a bottle. And so we pour champagne. 13 people pour champagne, pour champagne, pour champagne. Then the champagne's gone. They have a couple of cocktails. Of course, they're drinking, you know, only the best. They're drinking Grey Goose and they're drinking Johnny Walker Blue and, you know, all the, all the nice stuff. First course comes around, this, this mise en place, and uh, just to get the, the palate going. And then, you know, appetizers go around and um, we do a fish course and then we do a salad cheese plate and we do entrees and then a sorbet and then we do dessert and it's this big this big chocolate sculpted tree of a dessert you know and on each layer of the branch was a small plate of candies and all during dinner mind you they they drink two magnum bottles of chateau latour 1947 at 18,000 dollars a bottle 
$1,000 a bottle. And they are enjoying the meal and just laughing it up and happy birthday and yada, yada. 13 men. Then, you know, during the dessert and the candy course, guy leans over to my boss and my boss leans over to me. He tells me, go to the bar downstairs and I want you to get the entire our new bottle of Remy Martin. And this is Remy Martin Louis Thirteenth. It comes in a Baccarat crystal bottle. The bottle by itself is just empty, is made of crystal. It's about three to $500 at this time in 2003, just for the bottle itself. With this 150-year-old cognac, that is uh, fortified wine, basically. And it's 150 years old. It's aged. And the, with the alcohol in the bottle, this bottle is worth $6,500. And bring the bottle upstairs and they have this beautiful uh, snifter that they use for special occasions. And this, this thing is, the snifter is, is big. And uh, it looks like almost like a candy dish that you would put in as a centerpiece in the middle of a table. You know, it's a really big snifter. Like, you, realistically, nobody's supposed to pick it up and drink from it, you know. And we pour this shallow pool in this big snifter. And these men about, I don't know, a good 60, 70% of the men that were there, they all start passing out cigars to each other and they snip the cigars and then they dip the filter, the, the end they're going to smoke on, they dip it in this 150-year-old cognac. And then they go outside and light their cigars. Now, mind you, we're clearing plates and we're clearing glasses and pouring out the rest of the wine because we're not allowed to take any of the wine back, God forbid. So we fill their, their glasses with what's left of their $36,000 worth of wine. And um, they come back and uh, someone presents the check and the check is $55,000. And the guy sees the check and he's in the middle of talking with someone else. And while he's looking at the check and looking at his friend, looking at the check, looking at his friend, he reaches in his pocket, pulls out his wallet, pulls out a credit card, slaps it in the book like he's not thinking twice about it, just tosses it in there kind of carelessly, closes the book and hands it off. And I go run the credit card and I come back with the receipt and I put the credit card in and I'm like, there's no fucking way this dude's credit card is just going to let a $55,000 check just go right through it. Boop, right through and it prints out the receipt, no problem. And I was like, ain't this about a bitch. Bring the receipt back. And he looks over to his friend whose birthday it is. And he says, hey, uh, what's what's 20% of 55? And he goes, uh, 11. He writes 11 comma with a squiggly line to suggest $11,000 for the tip. Come to find out, birthday boy, Mr. 50 years old, is the CEO of the hospital my mother died in that we couldn't afford to keep her alive in. You know, sometimes the poems, they write themselves. There's a lot of talk about eating the rich and the billionaires and the submersible that didn't make it and how foolish they were and how arrogant they were and how careless they were with $250,000 each to get into this fucking beer can um, of untested carbon that just crushed like cardboard underneath the weight of the ocean. 
And people are making all kinds of jokes about it. And some people are getting offended by the jokes. And then people are getting offended that other people are getting offended. And let me ask you something. While these 13 men were sitting there laughing at dinner, every time they made a joke, I felt like they were laughing at my mother. Every time they smiled, it meant they didn't give a fuck about her. I think of that doctor telling me to be rational. The $200,000 a day isn't worth keeping my mother alive in a coma. These guys spent 13 for 13 people, they spent 55 fucking thousand dollars on a meal and wine and liquor, not even to drink, but just to dip their fucking cigars in. These guys were board members of a hospital. Every tumor that they didn't operate on, every child that died in labor, Every black woman that was ignored and not given pain medication. Or these guys get drunk because their life is just too good. Let me tell you something. I don't hate billionaires. But I can't stand hoarders. I don't despise the people that died. And I damn sure don't think it's funny the way they went. Especially the one man who manipulated his son into risking his life because evidently the idea of exploration and colonization of the ocean was more important than the fucking life of his own son. To be the first to do it. Because, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. To think that it was more important to spend $55,000, 66000 with tip, to spend that much on dinner. And if I was to break that up by the hour, that was probably about eight hours of my mother's life in the end. Eight hours of a woman's life or enough booze and food for 13 men to shit out later. billionaires you know AOC said billionaires don't make a billion dollars they take a billion dollars they take it through exploitation I think about all the working class people 55,000 of them every year mind you dying because they can't afford to see a doctor I think of all the people who didn't have a respirator because the hospitals didn't have enough respirators and I wonder how much a respirator cost I wonder if it was anything relative to the price of the dinner that night. How the cost of dinner that night could have saved one more life during the pandemic. I'll tell you, I don't think it's funny that those men died. But I don't think it's sad either. Remember to love yourselves. And if you fall short, you can start your day over anytime, anywhere, with anybody, because loving yourself is the most important thing you can do. And if you still talk to your mother, give her a hug for me. And if you still talk to your children, tell them you love them for me. (coughs) And if you don't have life insurance, please get it.
please get it. If you can get medical insurance, please get it. Because let me tell you, at the end days of your time here, if a CEO in the hospital has a choice between keeping you alive and dipping his cigar in Remy Martin Louis Thirteenth, I think you know all too well the choice they're going to make. Y'all be good. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.